Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Super happy that you're here. And I'm glad that you're here too, Alex. What's going on? Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited about today's call, talking about renovations and flips and all that good stuff. That's a that's a part of the business. Uh, it's it's another handy thing to have in the tool belt and something that I use. So I'm I'm interested to uh, learn some stuff from our guest today. We have a good guest. His name is Don Costa, and some of you might have heard him from the Flip Talk podcast. He's a good friend. I met him just, well, we've talked, I think, a couple times by email, phone, and I met him for the first time. I think it was the first time, Don, was it, that <laughs> we met a few about a month or two ago? Yeah, first time in person, absolutely. Okay, cool. Don's a cool guy. He's from the Central Valley, California. What city do you live in, Don? I live in Fresno, California, right That's in right, the middle. Fresno. So one of the things we're going to talk about is fixing and flipping. And why are you doing that and not wholesaling? And that's one of the questions I want to ask, Don, because, Alex, I was just at this mastermind, The Collective Genius. And yes. I met people, I met guy after guy and a few ladies here and there, but who were getting sick and tired and frustrated with whole, with rehabbing and were starting to just only do wholesaling. <laughs> and then I meet, And then I meet guys like you, Alex, and Don, who still like rehabbing and are still doing well with it. So I'd love to talk with you guys about that. Um, but Don, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, you're in Fresno, Central California. I used to live in Bakersfield, and people call that the armpit of California, right? Is, uh, right. is Fresno the other armpit, or do you kind of get, get a break? Um, no, we get a break. We're, you know, we... We've been on some pretty rough lists on like most car break-ins and different things in the past. And, but uh, Fresno's actually doing really well. We're about two hours north of Bakersfield. Okay, I, I, would say that, I, I would say the next armpit of California would be Stockton at this point in time. And I don't want to badmouth any city, but that's, that's, that's kind of – it's Bakersfield and Stockton and they're, they're, they're kind of one's spaced. The, one's yeah. the left armpit, the other one's the right. Right. Exactly. Golly. I love California. I was born in L.A., raised in San Diego. I've lived in Bakersfield. I've lived in San Francisco. And I would say Northern California is my favorite part of California. It's just gorgeous there. It is, definitely. Brian, I mean, Alex, have you ever been to California? I have not been to California. Wow. Yeah. Normally, most people have been there at least once. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. the furthest I've been over has been uh, Utah and Arizona. I don't isn't California right on the other side of that? Yes, if I know my geography. Yes. So you must have yeah, gone to a public close, school or something, huh? Closest I've been. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so Don, is that true? You rehab, you fix and flip about you're telling us earlier a hundred deals a year, approximately. Is that right? Yeah, give or take the year. Last year was 88. This year will be over 100. So we're in the 100 range. Nice. Are these all in the Fresno Central Valley area? There, in Central Valley, California, we have about a four-hour 
we go about an hour south and three hours north, you know, as far as our, our um, market. But the primary bulk of our business is Fresno and probably a 45 minute radius around Fresno. Okay. So, and you fix and flip these. You're, you're not wholesaling them, right? No, we fix and flip. We're straight up rehab. And, uh, you know, for a lot of years, we didn't do any wholesale at all. Wow. So why do you like to fix and flip? Why not just, you know, wholesale it, make your quick 10 grand, get be done with it and move on to the next one? You know, I've been asked this before. And, and the last time I was asked, I didn't really have an answer, you know, and then I gave it some thought. And, and the reality is that I have two lives in this business, right? I have pre-crash life. I started in 2003 and I built up a company that I did. I was flipping and I did a lot of business and then I crashed and burned in the crash and lost everything and came back now, uh, this time around. When okay. you say lost everything, how would you define that? And I crash mean, and burn. Yeah. I mean like lost everything, like lost, you know, cause I was, I was like so scattered. I had a restaurant and nightclub I had opened. I was doing a development project. I was doing real estate. I wasn't paying attention to my core business. And when the market turned, it was like being on one of those Gravitron rides at the fair. Like you're just pressed up against the wall and you can't do anything about it. Oh. <laughs> so, and, uh, I lost everything. I mean, down to, I was buying gas a gallon at a time with quarters broke that, that broke. Holy uh, smokes. What year yeah. was this? This was, by the time I was that broke, it was around 2010, 2011. And, um, I was, I was like just in the, trying to hold the world together mode, survival mode, you know, focused on trying to make sure that the light doesn't get shut off this month or the water doesn't get shut off next month. Oh my and goodness. yeah. So and, what would uh, you say I, happened? Why, why did that happen? Did you just have a whole, how many projects did you have that you just couldn't sell them or you were in them too high or what was the, what was the deal? The deal was that I had, I had a mortgage company, a property management company, a real estate company, a flipping company. I had started a restaurant. I was starting a sunglass line. I had a development project I was oh. working on. I wasn't, I, I was over leveraged with my time and over leveraged with my money. And, and I was over leveraged with my attention. And wow, I didn't have systems and structures and people in place to run my business properly. It was like the wild, wild west. And you got to think in from 2003 to 2008, there was so much going on. I mean, real estate investing was the big hotness and you could, you know, everybody was doing it. Didn't matter. You know, you could be a bus boy or a server or, you know, um, you know, any, any position and you were still flipping houses. Right. And, uh, because you can get loans so easy and you can get these pick a payment loans and, Anyway, the long and the short of it is there's so much money being made that you didn't have to really run it like a business. You could throw a rock at a house and turn a profit. Wow. And so I wasn't running like a business. And, you know, I had all these leaks in my operation where money was going out and you don't realize it when money's coming in so fast until, you know, the spigot gets shut off and suddenly <laughs> there's no money coming in and you don't know where to stop the leaks. So right. I just, you know, I, I, I was young. I didn't know what it was like to have money. I thought that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, <laughs> and, and I didn't, I wasn't smart about how I ran my business. You know, if I ran my business then, like I run my business now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be working. I would be in a beach somewhere doing something, you know, I just didn't run like a business. So back to, to Joe's question though, back then, I don't remember wholesaling being a thing. And so when you get into it, you get into rehabbing, right? I mean, in 2003, I didn't know wholesaling, you know, it was Carlton Sheets and, and these different yeah. guys talking about, you know, all these, you know, creative ways to buy properties, buy and hold and buy and flip. And, 
And so I got into it as a flipper then. And so when I got back into it this time around, that's just what I knew. You know, I understood it. And it was really easy for me to, and I, I don't mean easy, you know, it's, it's kind of a tongue in cheek comment because it was a lot of work, but that was just the path that, that seemed right. And I think my mindset was off too, because sometimes people look at wholesaling as the way to start, you know, and um, maybe I felt like I was above it. I don't know. But, you know, now that I look at it, I wish I would have started out wholesaling. I'm not going to lie. I wish I would have started built my company on, on the wholesaling train and then got into flipping. So that's where we're at. I used to look at wholesaling kind of the same way when I got started. I, I remember thinking, oh, that's not sexy enough. I want to go after the big dollar deals. I want to, that's only for beginners and rookies. <laughs> that is right. kind of funny, right? Yeah, and I that's was right. a beginner and rookie. That's like my thought too. It was like wholesaling, oh, that's that's what you do when you don't have any money. <laughs> right. Right. Huh. So, so you're saying, Don. That's, that's where my head was at. You're saying, Don, you would have, you wish you would have started with wholesaling. Is that right? You know, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I love flipping. I really do. Like, I like, I like the challenge. You know, there's, there's things, there's aspects of this business that I really love. Like, I, I used to love being the acquisition part of the company. I don't get to do that really, really anymore. But I used to love getting the contract. It was more than the check for me, right? And the, it's kind of the same thing with the flipping. It's, you know, we have a, a great company now. We have a great team. We have great processes in place, and we produce a great product. So there's, a, there's a personal high in that. So don't get me wrong when I say that, you know, I would rather have started in wholesaling, but it was just a lot of work building a company that could do the volume we do and building the team. And, you know, you got to sift through a lot of dirt to get the gold, right? When you're building a team of people. And if I would have just started wholesaling, I think in the beginning, that would have been the fastest way to revenue, you know, the fastest way to, you know, because my big thing now is I wanted to put as much money in the bank as I possibly could and be stable because I wasn't stable last time. And so wholesaling probably would have got me there a little faster. I'm in a good place now. Don't get me wrong. I'm in a great place now. But I think wholesaling would have probably got me there a little faster. And and so when people ask me, like, should I flip or should I wholesale? I always I always break it down. You know, you're probably, I guess, best case scenario, you're six to eight weeks from your first check wholesaling, you know, sometimes faster than that. Whereas flipping, if you're brand new on a flip, you're you could be six, eight months a year to your first first check. So you, you break it down like that to people, it just makes hmm. sense to wholesale. Interesting. And, um, but you like fixing and flipping rehabbing now, right? I love it. Why? What are some of the things you like about it? You know, just the challenge of being able to take something that has not been appreciated for so many years and, and turn it into something of beauty. You know, I mean, that's part of it, you know, that sounds a little corny as I say it out loud, but you know, it's, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's cool to turn neighborhoods around. It's cool to see families buy their first homes, you know, and, and you, you know, cause we do everything, you know, we do everything right. You know, we make sure that these properties are, are in good condition and that the health and safety issues have been resolved. And so it is a lot of reasons, you know, you get the letters, you know, when people are trying to buy properties, I don't know if you've gotten those, you got you guys, but uh, where they're writing, you know, please, you know, I got this, I got two kids, I got this and this home means so much to me. And then you get the letters after you sold to different people about, you know, how much they love the home. So there's rewards in that. But um, the long and the short of it is we just did the work and we, I got a great team and I'm really lucky and it's really, I don't want to say easy, but it's kind of on autopilot at this point in time. And so uh, you know, I just, it, I can, I can enjoy it. I will tell you, there was a point that when I was growing the business, when I had, I had about five or six rehabs going on at one time and I was a kind of a one man show, 
Um, I had my project manager, but he wasn't ready to go on his own yet. And I was racing to meet a contractor to pick a paint color. And I was trying to get back in time to meet my investors to get reimbursed for money I'd put out for rehab. And I was late to pick my kid. I was late to pick my kid up. And um, I remember getting out of my truck to cross the street to pick the paint color. And I remember thinking to myself that this really sucks. Like it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. So wow. that, I mean, there, 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 so there's, there was growing pains in it, you know. Um, but now I'm just in a good place, I guess. And, and it's, I wouldn't change it. Let's talk about some of the systems then that you've set up that have made it easier for you. Why aren't, why aren't you doing that stuff now? I, you got to build a team, you know, and you got to, you got to build the right team. You got to hire the person, not necessarily the experience. And then it's something that I've tried to really practice. You got to, you got to uh, be willing to teach and coach um, just things I learned, you know, from my first round, you know, you develop a team, hire, hire the person, not the experience, make sure they're teachable and coachable and then develop that team. And I've been fortunate that, you know, a, a few of my first, first hires were just great people and hungry and willing to learn and care about my business as much as I did. And, um, you know, I was able to build a really good team. And so, you know, they're like, I don't want to ever give anybody the illusion, the, the illusion that, it's just easy. We just buy a house, we renovate it and we resell it. And we don't ever see, like, I don't see the properties anymore, but I have a project manager that, that does, he, he's the one that does the legwork. You know, I have, um, an assistant in the office that she does all of our bookkeeping and our investor relations and, and our transaction coordinating, <laughs> you know, I have the acquisitions guys. So they, you know, for the most part, they handle it all for me and they're really, they're better than I could ever dream of being at it. Okay. Who would be the first hire then that you would hire? Let's say, let's put this in the context of somebody who's already doing some wholesaling. So they already understand the business. They're not completely new. So I think we would all agree, wouldn't we? Like if you're just getting started, wholesaling is probably what you should focus on, right? I think so. Where we might differ would be whether you should continue wholesaling and make wholesaling your full-time business. But that's a healthy argument to have, and it's, it's not even an argument or a debate. It's just I'm saying that's where we might have, might have different opinion because I hate rehabbing. I every right. time I've rehabbed, I've lost money, and it doesn't work for me. And that's why I love wholesaling so much. I think I think there's there's nothing unsexy about making money, and you can make a lot of money wholesaling houses. And people, it bothers me when I see different websites and forums that people bash wholesalers and look down on them. <laughs> but anyway, regardless, who would be now you've let's talk to we're talking to somebody who is uh already wholesales a little bit, understands the business, they want to get into rehabbing, they are stuck in this hamster wheel of driving to Home Depot and and buying um supplies, right? They're getting stuck. What would be the first kind of person that they should hire? Well, I'm going to give an answer that people probably heard a hundred times, but you need, you need to look in the mirror and you need to decide, you need to evaluate what are you, what, what are your skills and what aren't your skills? And so, you know, for me, I was really, really good at acquisitions. You know, I don't want to, you know, just totally toot my horn, but I just, you know, if, if I can get you to have a conversation with me and you were going to sell your house, I could close you. And so what I didn't love was project management. I understood it. I was good at it, but I didn't love it. And so my first hire was a project manager. If you are 
you know, if you're, if you're the guy who has the hard time, like the phone rings and you, you, you know, you you don't want to answer it because you don't like talking to sellers, then your first hire should be an acquisitions guy, you know, somebody who loves doing that. So it's, it's important to take, I think, you know, a good assessment of where you're at and what your skills are and aren't, mm-hmm. and then start filling those gaps. You know, where, where are your shortfalls? You know, I'm, you know, my, the other thing I hated was, you know, reconciling, you know, the checks and the weeks and cutting checks and signing checks and doing all that. So, you know, my second hire was somebody to do all that kind of stuff for me. So each person, I think it's going to be different, Joe, honestly, if I was going to answer completely honestly, you know, but the reality is, you know, it probably should be something in, in, um, acquisitions or marketing, or if you're going to be rehabbing project management, something in there, the part of it that you don't love, you know, one of those should be your first hire. Alex, what do you think? What's your answer to that? Yeah, that's very important. You got to play to your strengths a hundred percent because if you, you, you don't, it's, you don't want to not do something because you don't like it because that's not very disciplined, but you're not going to be very, very effective at something that you don't like doing. So it's very important to work with your strength and find somebody else to do the things that you're either not the best at or uh, that you don't like doing the business is going to run best when people are that are behind the wheel that love doing what they do, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. All right. So, Don, what uh, what are some of the things you look for in a project manager? You know, in any position that I hire, the first thing I look for is whether or not the person is teachable and coachable. Like I said earlier, I, I want to hire the person. So, like, my project manager was a good manager. And he is one of the most hardworking, loyal people I've ever met. And so he didn't have any real estate construction mm-hmm. project management experience, but I knew I could teach him that. So that's what I, I try to do. Now, obviously, in some positions, they're going to have to have a skill set. Like if you're going to, you know, you want a bookkeeper, they're going to have to understand accounting or whatever. But, but you, you know, for me, it is the person. So I wanted somebody who had, you know, the ability to think for themselves you know, the ability to make decisions and have the confidence to do so. And that was going to be teachable and coachable. And so that's, that's what I looked for. You know, I think everybody out there should be hiring the person, you know, we do that with the contractors we work with, with the vendors we work with, you know, from our acquisitions people to the agents that are in our office. Now we have a sister real estate company and and we have agents. We try to hire the people that, you know, are teachable and coachable, have a brain, you know, they're hardworking and loyal and that's what we look for first. Everything else we can teach. So, um, yeah, kind of a ramble answer there. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> I think people make the mistake of hiring for the industry and not for the skill set. So when they're looking for somebody, they might be looking for someone with real estate experience. But that could be the worst thing you could do. Absolutely. You want somebody who has negotiating experience, who might be good on the phone or who understands books or who understands how to manage people. You can teach them the real estate stuff. That's easy. Right. Right. All right. So what do you look for in an assistant? I think a lot of people are looking for hiring an assistant or a VA, but you have an assistant that's local, right? You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily care if they have real estate experience. You're wanting somebody who's coachable, but is there anything else that you're looking for when you want to hire a local assistant? So for us, the, just so I, just so everybody knows, like I, we have an office, you know, this, I love what I do. So we have an office and I go to the office and, and do my thing and, and our staff works out of our office. So for us, 
you know, the person's personality. Obviously, we're hiring the person. Their personality is huge for us. We want to make sure they're culturally a fit, you know, for our company. I hired an assistant, you know, a while back. I'm not saying I'm perfect. And she just was a Debbie Downer. You know, she, you know, we'd be giggling in the back office acting like children. And she thought we were talking about her behind her back. So you got to make sure that the person is a fit for your organization. But, you know, most of all, I think they, you got to hire people, not only that have the capability of thinking and making decisions and choices for your company, but you have to be willing as an, as an individual to give them the freedom to make those decisions and make mistakes. And so, like I said, I try to find the person who, who is teachable and coachable. They fit our culture. They have a brain. And then I, then I, you know, I, I say, okay, this is X, Y, and Z. And I stand back and I let them stand or fall on their own merit. And if they make a mistake, then I pick them up and dust them off. And I say, okay, this is why you made a mistake. And this is where you should go next time. And as long as they're continuing to learn and grow, then that's my person. And that's, you're going to get the same answer for every position across my organization. Because, you know, my end result is that I want to put the whole operation in their hands. And that's almost where I'm at right now. I have a couple more things to delegate. And I'm pretty much out of my operation, you know. And then I get to sit back here in my little studio and do podcasts and, you know, share and do that thing. So that's, I want people who are capable of thinking and confident and, you know, that, that all that stuff matters to me. Nice. So how many, if you don't mind me asking, how much staff do you have? We have uh, my project manager. He has assistants, so technically two project managers. We have two acquisitions guys. Um, we have we have our office assistant. She's our transaction coordinator right now. So technically five. We have a sister real estate company. We have a broker, and we have seven agents in that. And then we are restructuring right now because we're going to start doing more wholesaling. I'm moving one of my acquisitions guy over to dispositions because he just fits that. And um, we're hiring a lead manager in the process of interviewing and hiring a lead manager right now and another acquisitions person. So we're kind of changing a little bit, but, you know, we're not that, you know, for the volume we do, we're kind of a lean company, believe it or not. But it's just they're good people. They're good at what they do. You got a pretty good setup going on there. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty robust. I mean, down to the lead. I mean, as far as like the real estate brokerage and and all that setup, um, I don't know if this was the next place you were going, Joe, but um, what, where are you finding uh, as far as like your acquisitions are coming from? Are you doing a lot of marketing or marketing channels and all that good stuff? We do everything. And uh, we do direct mail. We do PPC. We do SEO. We do, um, you know, you name it. Um, we pretty much do it. Okay. A lot. Yeah. A lot of what we get, you know, I'll tell you right now, networking, it's not sexy. And every time I bring it up, people tell me it's not sexy, but networking is a huge component of our business. And that's one of the things that's really hard for me to delegate off to people. But I built relationships with agents through the years and wholesalers through the years. And we buy a lot from wholesalers. I love wholesalers. You know, I've, I would never, ever bash them because we buy a lot from wholesalers. And um, we have a lot of agents that bring us, you know, pocket listings and, you know, the kind of stuff that you know, the seller doesn't want people transiting through their home and, you know, they don't want it on the MLS. And so we get first crack at it. And um, that's where a lot of our deals come from. And then it's supplemented with, you know, direct mail and everything else. But we shake every bush. Where would you say that, um, what percent of your leads come from networking, would you say? What percent, of, what percent of your deals come from networking? About half, at least half of our deals. That's amazing. Networking. Yeah. Well, I'll buy, three, I'll buy three deals in one week sometimes from pocket listings alone. So, Joe, if you're 
rehabbing, I mean, the, there's plenty of deals to be bought from wholesalers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it, what's hard, though, is probably to wholesale the deals that you get from wholesalers. <laughs> right. You know, the numbers aren't set up for that. You know, then when I was wholesaling, the most deals was about when I was doing a lot of volume. It was 2012, 2013. And I've, you've heard me talk about this before, but we positioned ourselves as buyers instead of wholesalers who were just flipping to buyers. If you understand what I'm saying, we started positioning ourselves as, Hey, we've got $5 million burning a hole in our pocket. Send us your deals. Send us what you have. And we were doing that because we had a bunch of really good buyers in our back pocket. Right. And we started getting, it was shocking to me how many deals were being brought to us because now we were buyers and we got almost all of our deals from networking. And we were doing three, four deals a week. And all we were doing, we actually stopped our seller marketing. All we did was focus on marketing for buyers, finding good buyers. And these were out-of-state buyers that were buying in other states, not in St. Louis yet. But we were getting realtors and wholesalers bringing us deals left and right. And they were just happy to make $1,000 on a deal. Or just, hey, please help this guy out. I don't need anything from it. If you want, send me some money. Sometimes we get wholesalers that would try to make five to ten grand on a deal. And if the deal worked, we'd give it to them. But most of the time, it wouldn't work. And so they didn't have any other options, though. And they would say, okay, well, if I can just make a couple grand on this, I'd be happy. So there is something to be said to that. Powerful networking. And so my acquisitions guy at the time, I told him, listen, all you, all I want you to do now is just network, go to all the real estate clubs, meet all the property managers and realtors and investors and wholesalers that you can, get their name and phone number. And, and then once a week, he would email everybody or call everybody once a week. He would alternate, call, email, and just ask him, hey, do you've got any deals? He wouldn't wait for them to send them to him. He would just ask, do you have any deals? I'm looking, do you have any deals? And out of the woodwork, every time he'd send an email, he'd get people that bring deals back. It was just, it blew my mind that it was that easy. I thought you had to be complicated. I thought you had to do tons of marketing. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, and it, it's a lot of people, they, they overlook networking, right? They, you're so looking for the push button, you know, automated. And those are, it, it's all great. You need to have everything in your, in your, um, in your box, Right. But networking needs to be a huge component of it. And I, I used an analogy a while back about, you know, if you know DJs, and, and I have a lot of friends who are DJs, it went from vinyl to CD to MP3, and now it's going back to vinyl. The vinyl has a sound, right, that you can't, you just, you, you can't get anywhere else. And so that's the new hotness. Well, it's the same thing, I think, with networking. So many people went totally automated. And there's a, you know, there's a part to that personal component of this business that if you add that personal component in your market, it's going to explode your business if you're, if you're sincere about it, right? And you're adding value to other people's businesses and you're creating these relationships. I have people calling me on a daily basis with stuff that no one else is seeing that my company has the opportunity to buy because I've made friends. And the ROI on that's huge because that's not costing me any investment dollars. I'm not, it's not a 5,000 or $10,000 or $15,000 mail drop. It's, it's just, you know, I was, I, I created a relationship with this person and now I'm getting these phone calls for free. So you gotta have it, you know, it's important. That's cool. What advice would you give to people about uh, who want to build their network? 
I would, my advice would be to go out there and understand that it's about building relationships, not getting business cards. So you go to Aria and you know, you exchange business cards and you think that's networking. That's not networking. Okay. What do most, what happens to most business cards? I, you know, I don't know the last business card I looked at and called a number and I don't know the last person I gave a card to that called me. I go to Aria and I'm like, let me get your phone number. I'm going to put it in my phone. I'm going to send you a text right now. I want to have coffee with you next week. You know, I want to have lunch with you tomorrow. So it's, it's building relationships. It's generally going out and meeting people who you can add value to their business. They can add value to your business and you pick up the phone and you set a time to meet them for coffee and you have a conversation with them and you talk about business and you build that relationship. And it can't just be, what are you going to do for me? It's how can I add value to your business too? And if you approach networking that way and you know, it's a hustle, right? I mean, you got to get out there and do the work. You know, but if you you um, you approach it that way, then you're going to be really successful at networking. And you're going to see a lot of fruits from that. Hmm, that's good. You want to add anything to that, Alex? You're a good networker. About being a good networker? Yeah, yeah, you're a good networker. Sure, with my 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 wholesaling group, wholesaling houses full time. Right, there's plenty of networking going on in there. <laughs> yeah, there that's what you call quote unquote networking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> No, but do uh, Alex? Do you have? Um, do you get realtors and wholesalers that bring you deals? Right? No, I actually I can't remember the last time I bought a deal from a wholesaler. It's because I'm marketing. I, I've got a pretty big marketing machine set up myself. I mean, I work with other wholesalers in other markets to do uh, virtual style deals, but um, uh, I have not been to one of the RIAs around me in a long time. I just haven't. So, okay. I mean, maybe maybe that's uh, something I should look further into um, as far as like expanding my well, buyer's pool. Well, well, that would require you to leave the house, Alex. That would require would. you to get dressed in the morning. It would. It would. It would. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, let's let's talk about the money. You're doing a lot of rehabs. Are you funding these these deals on your own? Do you have a private lender? Are you have bank lines of credit? What's up with that? Everything we do is with private lenders. You know, we we went through the transition of different types of borrowing from day one. So I started with JVs. Lenders basically put the money up and I do all the work and we split the profit 50-50. And that's where I started. You know, one of the things I learned in business is just capital management and cash flow is very important. And mm-hmm. especially when you're starting in, in my position where I had like, I couldn't, you know, I didn't have two nickels to rub together basically. I had no business going out there and trying to borrow money and, and do these rehabs. I need to make sure that I, if I borrowed, that I didn't have the payment obligation. Let me rephrase that. You know, I, I wasn't going to be able to make a payment and do all these things and still be able to eat and breathe. Right. So I found somebody to put the money up. I did all the work. We split the profit 50, 50. I had no capital obligation whatsoever through those projects. And that gave me the freedom to really focus on the success of the projects. And then as I got more of a track record and built up some capital reserves, then I transitioned into rate and term investing, which is what we do now. And I still work with private lenders that way. And we pay an interest rate. Our typical projects turn times are about 100 days. You know, it ranges from about 70 to 120, depending on, you know, if it's FHA or not and so on and so forth. But so the maximum we're ever in a project is less than four months. So we borrow from these lenders. We usually borrow on a four-month term, and we pay an interest rate. And all all of our investors' private money, they fund 100% of our purchase, our rehab, our holding cost. So our only, you know, I, I guess our only capital outlay in this is our overall overhead, our operations. 
I always tell my lenders the big, the biggest thing you, you, you get from people. Cause they'll say, Oh, you know, we, you know, the lender wants skin in the game. Right. And I always tell my lenders, my skin in the game is the health of my organization. I always keep capital reserves and I always make sure that my, my company's sound and able to operate. And what I don't want to do is outlay down payments on 10 properties a month, you know, eight properties, 12 properties, whatever that month's bringing in. And just remove all the capital from my bank account. And then now I'm basically operating from a point of desperation. So, and, and my, um, my lenders have all been good with that. You know, they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and the importance of the health of the organization and managing cash flow. And so we've created the situation with them that works really, really well. You know, it's funny, Don, that you, you know, bringing that up um, because I'm also in the new construction business. So I've got right now about, 15 or so new construction projects going on. And that's very capital intensive. And the way I do it is I like, I I'll outlay the money myself for the, uh, for the improvements. And then I go back to the uh, lender and basically make myself whole. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing that over 15 different projects, you can, you can run into a little bit of a snag, um, you know, as far as uh, as far as the outlay goes on the money, and then as far as getting refilled on it. I'm curious the way that you do that because there are times that I'll write forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in checks in one week, you know. So, right. and then you got to make sure that you're uh, you're clean on that. I mean, you get your money back because obviously sixty thousand in the bank is. It, that's nothing to sneeze at um, when it's going out the door like that. So how do you how do you handle that from the outlay or or when you when you do the uh, when you get the money from the lender um, and then from the point when you buy, you know pay your contractors and and uh, improvements and then getting yourself getting the money back so that you're 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 not strapped for cash on the uh, on the uh, when you're building or flipping. You know, that's a great question. And it's, it's one of our um, systems we have in place. And so, and I'll, I'll break, I'll, curious. yeah, I'll break it down. So, okay. So basically we have a whole structure on how we work with contracts, how we do everything in our business is all structured, right? Systematized. So part of a control in our business is how we pay our contractors and how we ask for reimbursement from our investors. So our contractors are um, paid weekly and they're only paid for the work that they complete that week. And so what they're allowed to do is they bill us, say they bill us this Friday for the work that they're going to complete by next Friday. And what happens is they bill us this Friday. Our girl comes in on Monday and she does, goes through all the invoices, checks with the project manager to make sure that the, that that's the track that the construct, the contractor is going to be on for completion, cuts all the checks. And then she takes and she packages the checks with a cover sheet that says, this is what we're paying out on this project this week. Here's all the invoices. Here's a, here's a, the stub from all the checks. And she sends that on uh, Wednesday to our private money lenders, all the different private money lenders. And then either Wednesday afternoon or Thursday, our private money lenders will give us those funds back before we give the check out to the contractor. Uh. And then on, on Friday, at one o'clock, as long as all that work has been completed, the contractor gets to pick that check up on Friday. So it, it does a couple of things. One is it holds the contractor accountable to tell us what he's going to finish. So now he set a goal and he's got to complete that goal before he gets his check. We get basically all of our accounting's done at the beginning of the week. So we know exactly what's going out at the beginning of the week. 
all of our files are in a stacking order, all nice and beautiful, all exactly the same. So now I know exactly what my cash obligation is for that, that entire week by Tuesday. Okay. And everything's structured and everybody knows where we stand. And then our lenders get transparency because they see, okay, this is the money they're going out and here's all the proof that it's happening. And these are the invoices. So they get the transparency that they love. That's why they love working with us. And they see that we're organized. So it kills a couple of birds with one stone there. And then, you know, our contract at the end of that week, they're held accountable. You know, there's accountability. So if they're not done, they don't get that check. And if they are, they get it. And if they disappear and never come back on Monday, I can put another contractor in place. And, you know, I don't have to worry because I've only paid the guy for the work he's completed. So long answer there. Hopefully I did. <laughs> it's not too complicated. But, so, yeah. so you're never outlaying your own cash then, really? Never. No. Mm. Now, does that mean, though, that you are... You're you're getting paid in small draws along the way. Our, yeah. So there's we have a couple of investors that we work with that will give us all the rehab money up front. But I prefer not to do it that like way that. personally. Yeah. yeah. Because it's it's an accounting nightmare. It's a pain in the butt and you're yes. holding someone's money and yeah. and there's a lot lot of things that can go wrong with that. So most of our investors will hold back the rehab and then they'll give us the money that we're paying out each week. And I like it that way. Okay. Because now I'm not worried about, you know, counting for their money. And so if we're laying out 10,000 on, on that project that week, they give us 10,000 that week. And then the next week, it's the same thing. You know, we're laying out laying. So you're doing so, a, weekly, a weekly draw with your lenders then. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I Yeah, I like that system. They're just going to have to, um, they're just going to have to wire, be doing more wiring, doing it that way. But yeah, yeah. that makes, that makes sense. And you can set it up any other way. I mean, you can set it up biweekly or, you know, however you want to do it for your business. For me, it's like, I don't like paying deposits. I don't like doing any of that with contractors. So I basically tell them, I don't pay a deposit, but I'll pay you every week. You're not, you're not going to be out more than a week. So I get my way with certain things. I get my way with pricing and different things that we want to accomplish because we pay so quickly. Right. Um, the contractor is not floating my business per se. So, right. you know, like I said, that little system that we have just it accomplishes so many things from organization to cash flow to accountability. It accomplishes so many things. So, you know, when you look at a system in your organization, it, it, it usually encompasses, you know, so many opportunities for you to keep things in check. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, that's a good way of doing it. I'm going to I'm going to review the way I've been doing things and see if there's a way that I can. Um, improve on that because I sometimes get into the rut of going as, as, as far as I possibly can go and then go back and get, right. <laughs> you know, but that can get stressful really quick. If, uh, if you're not careful. It, no, I can. And I've been there. And that's the reason why we set it up the way we, we did is because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too, I'm too old to be that stressed. Right. <laughs> so right. 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 <laughs> Good stuff. Wow. I, you know, I was totally lost during that whole conversation. What? That's all right. <laughs> Why were you lost? Uh, maybe because I wasn't paying attention, but I was like, what are these Come guys? On, man. What are these guys talking about? What draws? So you're, <laughs> you know, uh, come from a different world, man. I haven't rehabbed a house since 2009. Well, I, I'm talking building a house, right? So most of my stuff is is building. I've got a little bit of rehabs. A lot of most of them are like wholesale style. I'm not doing like full blown rehabs because I just don't like doing that. But I love new construction because it's so easy and systematizable. But most of my houses that I'm building cost me 125 to 130 thousand to build. So 
a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just take two draws, a $50,000 and a 50,000. And then I just wait till the house sells to recoup the other 25 or 30. So you can see how that can add up really quickly if you're not, (laughs) if you're not careful. (laughs) All right. All right. So boy, what else? Don, you have a podcast. Talk about uh, flip talk. Why did you create the podcast? You know, I created the podcast, you know, my business was getting to a point where I wasn't as involved in a daily operation and I wanted to make sure that I'm really ADD and, um, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get distracted like I did the last, last time around and go a totally different direction. So part of it was that was just, I wanted to do something that was in the field that I was in and, you know, I wanted to give back, you know, that's another part component of, I wanted to give back, you know, and I get the opportunity, I think, as you guys know, you get to talk to really smart people around the country and learn a lot of really cool things along the way. So it was it was more out of um, just it seemed fun, and now it's it's just grown into something more. So it's, it's it's been a cool experience. Well, you've got a really good podcast. I'm looking at your website right now, fliptalk.com, mm-hmm. and like the website. And you, how long have you been doing the podcast? I actually launched um, October last year. I'm I'm just now a year in at the, at the end of October. Nice. And it's once a week you release these podcasts, right? We release once a week. I'm actually going to be going to, um, two episodes a week starting the beginning of next year. And, uh, but for now it's once a week. Yeah. I see. I recognize a lot of these names here. That's really cool. The, uh, yeah. one of them, John Jackson, you just, <laughs> is he, is he a riot or what? He's cool. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> Talking about lease options. Are, do you do any lease options yourself? I don't. I don't do lease options. I used to do a lot of subject to. I did a tremendous amount of subject to back before pre-crash. And we do them every once in a while now, but I've never done that. That's like the most creative I guess I've gotten. I've never done lease option. Well, cool. What's the, uh, what does the future hold for you, Don? What do you got? What are your goals for uh, the next 12 months? You know, we are, Flip Talk has really taken off. Such an amazing audience. Nowhere near the audience you guys have, but you know, you guys are rock stars. Oh, come on. But I, yeah, but I got to I definitely, you know, it's been fun and I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool people. And so we're getting into doing some events. Um, you and I had spoke before we got on the podcast, you know, we do, we're doing a next level immersion. We did one at the end of August and it was just phenomenal. It was a phenomenal experience and, and I really enjoyed it. So I have another one scheduled for the second and third of November. So if you're somebody that's doing deals, doing a lot of deals, you're interested in something like that, you can definitely reach out to me and, and we'll probably start doing some more stuff like that. And, um, you know, and just, just growing the business, you know, we're getting into more wholesaling, you know, um, on our end, like I mentioned earlier. And I mean, in October, just what we got in the pipeline for October, we'll have over a hundred thousand dollars in profits in wholesaling, which I'm excited about. Good for <laughs> so, you. Good for you. yeah. And that's just basically picking up the stuff that we would have turned down a while back and sell it to people who are willing to take it. So who, who apparently if it's their model. Um, so it's putting that on, our, we put that on our radar and I'm um, excited about doing more of that. So, but yeah, a lot of really cool things. I am. Um, I'm, I'm trying to join your Facebook group here and mm-hmm. it, it asks me questions i've never seen this before when you join a facebook group you can require them to answer questions yeah that's a newer thing which is pretty cool actually so it, it's asking yeah. me what's your favorite episode and i'm writing down here the one that joe mccall will be on nice absolutely yes 
<laughs> so I just put a uh, request in there, and I noticed I didn't put the, the I didn't put on there the one that Alex Youngblood will be on. That wasn't very nice. Well, it was it was kind of nice because I was suggesting in an underhanded way that he should get Alex on as well. That's that that is kind of nice. nice. Yo, I appreciate that. You just get both of us on there. No, I'd love to have you guys on. Yeah, but you've got uh, seems looks like here you've got a pretty active group. I recognize a lot of these people that are in there. Mm-hmm. Are you on there a lot interacting with folks? I am. I you know I am. I actually. I, I love doing this. I'm in there. I answer questions. I interact. I do lives. I don't do lives as much as I probably should, but I, you know, I do lives and we'll probably start doing them about once a week. And, uh, you know, I really, I really try to give, you know, as much as I can, you know, so if somebody asks me a question, I'm going to answer as honestly as I possibly can based on my experience. And, um, you know, obviously knowing that there's all, you know, a dozen ways to do things, but, you know, I try to be as honest and, and upfront as I can and just open in the group and, and it's been a good group. You know, I enjoy it. I've made some really good friends out. I'm sure as you guys know, I made some, you know, I made some really good friends, you know, from the people on the group and it's yeah. a lot of fun. Very good. Well, cool. Any advice, Don, let's end it with this. Any advice you'd give to people that are wanting to get into rehabbing, wanting to, you know, get more systemized and organized like you are. You know, the, the first thing I would say is for anybody getting into rehabbing or wholesaling or anything in, in this arena is, is know the value that you bring to the table. You know, a lot of people, they're just, they're scared to make a decision or, or make a move and know your value, know you're bringing something to the table, know that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And just get out there and start taking action and, um, and you're going to do great things, you know, and then the advice I would give to, to, you know, people who want to build a team and grow their business and systematize is understand that systems are, they're about setting expectations and accountability is really all a system is. And you need the right person in that role if it's going to be successful. So hire the person and, you know, teach them and coach them to follow within those guidelines, you know, the, the opportunities that are within that position and you're going to be very successful if you approach it that way. Good advice. Good advice, Don. Well, um, Alex, do you have anything else you want to say? Anything you want to end this with? No, it's a good call. I don't think I have anything special. But, I mean, what he said with hiring the right people and uh, what we talked about with the strength of finding what you're good at and do that and find other people to do the rest. I mean, just like you know, if you're, if you're, uh, in, in the business and you're trying to figure out how to do a website, you know, find somebody that already knows how to do that and uh, move on and do things that you're good at. So, uh, it's kind of falls along those same lines, but this has been a great call. I've learned, I, I like your system about, uh, how you do the draws and things like that. So I'm probably going to try to see if I can work a system, uh, similar to that for what I've got going on. So that was helpful. So good call. Yeah, that was good. And guys, I highly recommend you check out Don's Very workshop. Cool. How can they get more information on that workshop, Don? Is just go to your website or listen to your podcast? They can. You can email me, Don, at fliptalk.com. I respond to the emails. So email me, Don, at fliptalk.com, and just put Next Level Immersion in the subject line, and we'll respond that way. You can go to nextlevelimmersion.com, and um, there's some information there as well about what we have going on. And, um, yeah, you can check out the the website at uh, fliptalk.com, you know, so there's a lot of ways to get a hold of me, but emailing me, I, I definitely will respond to you. So it's a good way to get a hold of me. Don at fliptalk.com. Fliptalk.com. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
Cool, man. Don, appreciate you taking the time and uh, look forward to, to um, talking to you again soon. Definitely. Thank you guys. All right. See you guys. 